chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. And actually, over the next four weeks, I want to um, preach from some passages in the book of Romans. And my main focus will be what it means to walk with Jesus. How do we actually like follow Jesus? Because uh, we've heard a lot of messages about that it's important to make Jesus kind of the main focus of our lives and why you know we need to leave behind our old ways of thinking and you know the the patterns of the world and so on but how do you actually do that what does it actually look like to walk with Jesus and i hope to give you some more kind of like practical applications and things to really hold on to as we try to do this together as we try to follow Jesus together as a community. All right, so let's uh, turn to Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5. Let's read it all out together. Okay, so on 3, let's start reading. 1, 2, 3. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. All right. Um, have you ever been called four eyes when you grew up? Hands up if you have suffered that. Oh, even Mama Hendrix. Yeah. I didn't, but I did get glasses. So in grade 11, uh, we actually had everyone go through a vision test, and then, and then they told me at the end, oh, you need glasses. And I was, like, I was very surprised. Like, oh, okay. So I went to get glasses, and I found out that I was uh, nearsighted, short-sighted. So I can see things up close, but when I look over there, it's hard. everything gets a bit blurry. All right, you understand? So the technical term is called myopia. Short-sightedness. And um, when you, when I put on the glasses, it was like a new world. Like, whoa, like, what is this? I mean, I can actually, I'm meant to be able to see things over there. It's like unbelievable. And so um, I got glasses. But the issue was when I was playing sports. I love playing sports, but you can't wear glasses when you play sports. And so what, what would happen is, when I'm playing sports, everything is very like busy and like chaotic. And so because I can't see things over there, I generally didn't try to pass to my teammates. So I played a lot of soccer. So I wouldn't pass there because I couldn't actually see over there. And so I would only look very close only pass to players close to me. I could only experience things very close to me. And then I discovered contact lenses. So I started working part-time job at, at the bank, and I could afford contact lenses. And then that was like freedom, a new level of freedom. All right. You know, the, te- the, the tagline or the, the phrase for our generation today is that we seek instant gratification. Uh, we want things now. We want to enjoy things. We don't want to wait for things. And I think another way of thinking, that, thinking about that is that we are short-sighted when we 
look at what's important in our lives, how we should determine what we want to spend money on, what we want to give our time to. Do we want to go out and exercise for our future health, or do we want to just stay home and watch Netflix and eat that extra bag of chips? Why not both? It doesn't work that way. You can't do both. You can only choose one. You know, it's we. You know, we say that today people they don't think about the future anymore. They just live for the moment. They live for that bit of pleasure. They live for that experience. You know, the momentary experience of going bungee jumping or going on a holiday and experiencing an amazing view or great food. It's all about those moments of pleasure we want to consume. But, you know, I'm not sure that that's only something of the modern times. I think it's maybe something that's built into our human nature, that we are short-sighted, that sometimes we focus on what is near and lose sight of what is far. I just want to look at one example from Genesis 3. So if we just read Genesis 3, 4 to 6, uh, this is when we see that God has created man and woman, Adam and Eve. He's given them the garden. He's given them, you know, the his commands. You know, just follow this way. Follow these rules, and then everything's going to be perfect. Right? So he's given them the long-term vision, right? Follow me, right? Everything's going to work out well. But what happens? The serpent comes, and he shows... Uh, Eve, the woman, this fruit. And so reading from verse 4 to 6, this is what happens. Uh, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So in that moment, all she could see was the fruit, and that this fruit will make me like God. She could just focus on what was in front of her, the temptation, and she lost sight of the bigger picture of what was good. And so sin entered the world. And actually, we believe that through this sin of Adam and Eve, it's not just Eve, but also Adam, that this is when the world went from perfection and started the descent into darkness, into sin, into brokenness. You know, we were separated from God. We were disconnected from God. And we're actually, as we read in our passage today, Romans, we're actually enemies with God, opposition to God. We were no longer one with Him, one family with Him. And so actually, in that sense, it's understandable why um, people, if they're not Christians, if they don't know Jesus, they like to live life 
short-sighted. I will just do what I desire. I will make myself happy. I live to please myself. I am my own God. Right? It's understandable because this is the world that we live in. It's not a normal thing to know Jesus and to know God in this fallen world. But what happened? Uh, today in our passage, if we look in verse 10, Paul tells us that when Jesus came, that division was overcome. Jesus bridged the gap. We were reconciled back together with God. It was through his death that we were brought together with God. And then as Jesus came back to life, we also were born again into a new life to new people. And that's something I've been mentioning in previous weeks, that it's not just about us being washed clean, like you're no longer dirty, but we are actually born again into a new being, into a new person. Those, those things of our old self, you know, the, the temptations, the, the desire, the need to have uh, success according to the standards of the world, these are the things that are meant to be cut off, cut off by the death of Jesus. And then we are born again alive in Christ. We can look only to him. It's because in verse 1, it says that we are justified justified by faith. When we put our faith, our trust in Jesus' works, not our own, we are not the ones that created our salvation, but it's through Jesus' works we put our trust in him that we can have first, we can have peace with God. Right? We are one with God. Two, we have access to God's grace, His gifts, His blessings. And three, we can rejoice knowing that the glory of God awaits us when Jesus returns. Right? When it says, when Paul says, at the end of verse 2, and we rejoice in the hope of of the glory of God. When Jesus comes back, those who have put our faith in him, we get to share in his glory. Right? What is what is glory? And God will God will lift us up. You know, right now who do we give glory to? We give glory to K-pop stars. We give glory to presidents. We give glory to businessmen. We give glory to very wise people, achievers, people who are successful. That is the world standard of glory. But when Jesus returns, who will he give glory to? Those who follow him. It's a new definition of glory, of success. Obedience to the Father. Worshipping Jesus. That is what is going to mean that you have glory in the new, uh, the new world like eternity when Jesus returns. All right, so I wanted to focus on that last one, looking ahead to the end game, to the long-term future. Right now, because this world is in sin, this world is in darkness, when we look around, often we see a lot of doubt, uncertainty, 
we experience rejection from friends, from family, from people we look up to. We feel that we lack things. I don't have enough money. Or I want a better job. Or I don't have enough. My family doesn't have enough respect, reputation, wealth. There's so many things we feel like we don't have. We want more. Or sometimes we can be filled with the sense of striving. I have to work hard in order to earn respect. I have to work hard in order for people to like me. I have to be nice. Or I have to be funny for people to accept me. Right? Loneliness. So for Christians, you know, we may not look at the temptations like a lot of non-Christians do. So for us, that's not often a problem. But often, we're faced with different struggles in the short term. When we look around us in our proximity, often we're faced with a lot of difficulties. But, you know, we see from the passage that we have so much to look forward to. Right? We have the hope of glory in God's kingdom to look forward to. So why is it? Why is it that sometimes Christians seem less certain about their futures than non-Christians? So, for example, a couple of my friends, they've got really good corporate careers that are you know, progressing well. They've already purchased properties. It seems like their future's already planned out. Whereas for me, I don't know what I'm doing next year, <laughs> like, honestly speaking. Yet I'm the one that's supposed to have the future hope of glory. How does that work out? And even like sometimes people who don't go to church can be actually more kinder, more generous, more nice than people who do go to church. How, what, how does that make sense? We're the ones that's supposed to have this hope of glory. And I think it's because for us, for Christians, we can become short-sighted. We forget what is meant to be waiting for us at the end of the line. Like peace with God, eternity with Jesus, every blessing, no more you know, sickness, you know, perfection. That waits for us beyond our lifetime. That's what waits for us. But we either only focus on what is near. So like if you think about me playing soccer, because I couldn't because I didn't have my glasses or anything, because I was short sighted, I only focused on what was close to me, which for us is a lot of often a lot of difficulty and hardship. Right? That's just life. Or if you look if you try to look far you're looking without the help of God and it's just blurry. There's uncertainty. You don't know what's out there. And so you get anxious, afraid, things like that. But what is it? How, how is being a Christian meant to change things? It's because the Bible, prayer, worship, they're meant to be like glasses that sharpen 
our vision, that help us to see what's in the distance. When we stop doing this, we're just the same, we're the same as non-Christians, except we've already sacrificed the short term. We've got nothing to look forward in the short term because we believe that it's more important to sacrifice what's now for the future glory. So none of us really go drinking until we're drunk and we give up a lot of these now pleasures in order for something much greater. But if you if you stop looking if you stop reading the Bible, if you stop being together with God and praying and worshiping him, then you can't even see that. So you've got nothing. You've got neither. So for Christians, or even non-Christians, the reality is that this world is broken, like I said. A lot of difficult things happen in this life. And, you know, Jesus, following Jesus is not meant to magically change everything, that your life becomes better, right? You have no problems. But what he does do is he gives you the ability to see further into the future to see the end of your story that it's going to be okay and it's more than just okay you're actually going to have glory with God at the end of the line so if we know that that is the future, if we know that that is the truth, but still things are in chaos, things are very difficult right now, what are we meant to do? Well, one option is you can try to control and plan out this life. right? That's one option. You want to just try to make everything nice and then you get to the end of your life and you go to heaven. But what I found is that life just doesn't work like that. We can try to plan everything to perfection, but something always happens. I think a lot of you would agree with me. Let's turn to James chapter 4. So James is towards the end of the Bible, just before Peter, First Peter. James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. So I think the amazing thing about the Bible is that it not only tells us about Jesus and things like that, but it describes the world that we live in accurately. And I think that's how we can trust it. It's not just talking about some, you know, utopia that, you know, people wish they lived in. It tells us of the world that we live in today but it gives us hope. So let's read James chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. Okay, if you're all ready, let's read it together, uh, starting with verse 13 to verse 17. Okay, one, two, three. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. 
As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do fails to do it. For him, it is sin. Pretty much, James, this is the brother of Jesus. What he's saying is, who are you to plan out your life? You don't know what's going to happen next year. You don't potentially know what's going to happen next week. It is arrogance to believe that you can control your life to that extent. And if you look around our community, even amongst my friends, so those two friends I was mentioning from school, one of them, his mother died a few years ago, unexpectedly. Another one, he's expecting a child, but his father has cancer. How can you predict? everything? You can have everything set in life, yet this is the broken world, the fallen world, the world in sin that we live in. Until Jesus returns, this is what we will face in the short term. So it's not about trying to control everything and making it nice, but it's about looking beyond for the hope that can help you get through each challenge, each hardship. Um, Just to use examples within our own community, um, a couple of our sisters, you know, not wanting to go into too much detail, but like Maury, Joanna, you know, they have sicknesses in their family, very unexpected. You know, we're praying for that. Uh, Stephanie, you know, she's with her family in Taiwan now. You know, just illness, sickness, and even our own sin, because we're all sinners. Our sin can impact on each other. We hurt each other. You know, we're not perfect. And in the context in Romans, for the church in Romans, they were being persecuted, killed for their faith in Jesus. They can't control what these evil men are doing to the believers. They can only hold on to their hope. Now, it is possible for God to speak about your future through, you know, prophetic people, through pastors and and prophets and, and so on. But, you know, it actually still requires faith on your part to live that out. So let's say um, you go to like a conference and the speaker, he prays for you and say, oh, I think you're going to get a job. Like God's going to answer your prayer for a job in the next year. If you don't apply for any jobs, if you don't do anything, you know, honestly, you, you probably won't get a job. Or if, you know, you've been praying to God for a baby. And if, you know, the mother and father don't do their thing, they're not going to get a baby, right? And so I think the point is that we can get guidance from, you know, prayer, from, you know, people speaking God's word to us. But in the end, like nothing is certain. Nothing is really that certain in this lifetime. Who knows what's going to happen? No. Let's go back to our passage today. There is only one thing that can hold us in the midst of suffering and trials. So let's read again, verses 3 to 5. 
So Romans 5, verse 3 to 5. Okay, let's read together. One, two, three. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts with the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. The only way we can rejoice in the midst of sufferings. So not just get through it, like persevere, push through it, and end up at the end of our life tired and you know, beaten down and barely getting through. No, no, the only way we can have joy in the midst of suffering, like if you go on mission trips, you go to places like Mongolia or you know other developing nations. I went there and I was so almost ashamed like i was asking like am i even christian because there are these people there who have literally nothing they live on a on the dirt floor with a tent covering they have no like food or anything like that sometimes the kids they just drink water to fill their stomachs because they have nothing to eat and then they get stomach ulcers because they're just drinking a lot of water like there are these people who live like this and then on sunday we went to worship with them and they're jumping up and down and and you're shouting praise songs and, and just rejoicing in the Lord in the midst of their sufferings because they were able to look to the end of the verse. They were able to put on their glasses that Jesus had given them and see that at the end of this chain lies hope. Hope in glory, in the glory of God. But then how can we be sure How do we know that the glory awaits us? It says here, Hope does not put us to shame, this is verse 5, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We can be sure. So this is not a maybe things will be okay, but this is like, yes, I will be in heaven with God. Everything will be, you know, perfect, perfected in Jesus because of what? God's love. And God's love is not just a feeling like, oh, I feel God's love in here. God's love is an action. It's an event, the cross of Jesus Christ. This is why it's so important that we believe that Jesus died on the cross in history. Otherwise, it's just a concept in our heads. But if we do believe that it's an event, then nothing can change that. Nothing can remove that. And the cross is what we can build our hope on. We can be sure we will never be put to shame by our faith in that that future glory, right? Someone might say, man, why are you, like, why are you giving up your career, you know, for the sake of Jesus? You, you like it, you're full, you're stupid, right? But if you truly believe that Jesus is calling you to become a pastor and give up 
your, your successful career. You may look foolish to the world. Like for me, I graduated from law school. And then when I told people I was going to Bible college, the first question they always asked was, but what about law school? Like five and a half years. It's such a waste. It seems so foolish to just leave that behind. If, if we're not sure about this, then actually I'm, I'm a fool. If we're not sure about this future hope of glory with God, then actually I'm, I'm pretty stupid. Why would I give all that up? But if we do believe that this is truth, this is fact, then nothing can take anything away from me. Nothing, nothing can make me feel ashamed of following Jesus. Right, so I just want to finish off by reading from Revelation chapter 22. So this is kind of the end of the line. This is what we look forward to. This is the hope that we hold on to. So we're going to read from Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. So when you read the Bible, when you pray, when you worship God, it is like putting on glasses that can help you see clearly to this end. To see that this is where everything is heading. Alright, so if you're ready, we'll read together on three. One, two, three. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their forehead, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever. Amen. Yeah, if you read through other chapters here, uh, let me read through verse 20, uh, chapter 21, verse 2 to 4. So chapter 21, Revelation chapter 21, verse 2 to 4. Uh, 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Yeah, when we say, when your pastor says, 
Like, read the Bible, guys. Please pray. Like, pray 30 minutes a day. You know, come to church. It's not just about doing things so that he feels better about himself as a pastor. It's for you. It's to build you up. Not just to have a good church. And why is it? Because every time you read the Bible, you are seeing through God's eyes. You are putting on glasses that give you clearer vision into reality, into future. Every time you pray, you're hearing from God. He's revealing Himself and His plans to you. And so that uncertainty, the blurriness of the future, you may not get all the answers, but there's no more fear of the unknown because you know that God is with you that he has plans for you. He's going to take care of you. And I think when you come to worship together, praising God, whether it's here or just you know in your own room at home, I think it, it takes all those things that are scary right now, whether it's family illness or job uncertainty or you know relationships, friends, you know, being hurt. It takes those and it, brings peace and calm into those things that are affecting you right now, today. So you can look further beyond and have hope. Yeah, so I just wanted to finish off um, by reading together the Apostles' Creed. So this is the statement of belief that unites us as Christians. So let's just read that together, and I'll close us in prayer. All right. One, two, three. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Uh, Let me just pray for us. Father, I just thank You, God, that for us, as we were sitting in darkness, separated by you, from, by, separated from you by sin, that you did not stand still, but you sent your Son Jesus to come and to die for us, and then to be raised to life, so that we could be, you know, raised to life together with Him, no longer, you know, bound or shackled uh, by the burdens of our past. Uh, Father, as we try to walk this life uh, together with you, uh, Lord, would you just help us? Help us to hold on to your word, the scriptures. Help us to seek you out in our prayers and to give thanks and rejoice to you through our worship, God, so that you know we would not be stuck just looking you know, short-sighted at the things the difficulties, the sufferings around us, but that you would give us that clear vision to see 
that future hope of glory we have with you, God, and to see um, the path that you are building for us to lead to lead us through this life, and to hear God um, what your calling is for us, how you want us to love those around us, how you want us to make a difference uh, in this world uh, for your name, for the name of Jesus. And so, Father, I pray especially for our church community that as we go through this time of, um, yeah, of you know praying and considering, you know, the future for our community, uh, that you would just give us the ability to see far into the future, God, to keep our eyes fixed on that hope that you have for us, and not to be consumed by you know all the challenges and doubts and hurts that we've experienced god um you know recently yeah so father just be with us we thank you for this word and in jesus name we pray amen